so great a blessing, isn't it, that you and I can assemble and gather together on this first Sunday in the year 2018. It's a fantastic thing, of course, that of course each week has a first day or any portion thereof, and yet God has set aside in His Word that on the first day of the week, we have the privilege of starting out that week in the best of all possible ways to assemble with those of like precious faith, 2 Peter 1 verse 1, and to offer worship unto the great God of heaven. Perhaps it would be in order to at least amplify slightly what Brother Gary mentioned earlier. Uh, the, the elders perhaps thought it would be a wise idea for on occasion, there are times when, when maybe you have questions related to things in the Bible or applications of passages or, of Scripture. Perhaps those kinds of questions you would like to see a more detailed delivery or at least consideration of it. And on those occasions, we can use those questions you may have and you perhaps build a lesson around it or develop some number of them in a lesson. And so it's our intent that we're going to try to do that. Now, if you do have questions and you'd like to share them with one of the elders or with me directly, you're more than free to do that. I do realize, though, that you may want to be anonymous in some sense with regard to them, and so we hope to have a box somewhat uh, available here soon in the foyer. You can just drop your question in there. You don't have to sign your name to it. And then I'll just use them to, to again, prepare a lesson or at least address that question. And depending on how many questions we have, we may do this more or less often. If there's lots of questions, we will do this as often as we need to address the questions. If there's relatively few, then only every now and then will, will we in fact do that. But go ahead and be thinking about questions that you might wish to consider. And again, we'll, we'll try to get this underway here very soon. Remove the fantasy. The very word fantasy, it, it, it reminds us of the fact that it's, it's a make-believe. It is something that really does not relate to the facts or the truth of the matter, but it's just a figment of imagination. It's something that merely is only make-believe. Believe it or not, there are several passages in the Bible that really hold what many today consider to be a fantasy. And we're going to look at just a few of them this morning. This introductory slide will remind every one of us of that passage. In fact, I think we've already mentioned it today. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. As Paul addressed those words to Timothy, he reminded him, and that word study literally means to give diligence. Timothy, you exert great interest and earnest and ferventness, and that will include rightly dividing the word of truth. Timothy was told then, don't ever take a passage and use it to teach what it doesn't teach. And yet, as I mentioned, there are many that fit into a fantasy world like that. We're going to look at just a few of them today. As we do that, let's close that slide by saying, I hope we remove the fantasy today. When it comes to these passages, what they teach is tremendous and marvelous, but it isn't what the fantasy world that many would wish it to be. I hope one thing you can say with me is by the time we're done is the actual truth is in fact even better than the fantasy. Isn't it often true God's Word is that way? The truth is better than the fantasy. The first one that we'll consider is the one that was read in your hearing just a moment ago. I suppose that there's no single passage in the book of Jeremiah that has occupied the attention and set the stage for a fantasy unlike 
Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I'm going to read that passage. Brother Greg read it just a moment ago. It reads like this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Not long ago, Denise and I, as we were walking through uh, a, a Bible-related bookstore, it's not at all unusual, and we saw it then, to see things that, like you would hang on the wall, be they picture-looking matters or plaques. And this verse is pretty commonly appreciated. It has a nice sense to it in that regard, doesn't it? God said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And those in the world today use that to say, don't you know, God has a great plan for your life and it's a plan of peace and it's a plan that doesn't have any evil and things that are bad. And not only that, He's going to bring it about to work that which is, is His plan. And they often will quote a verse like this. The only problem is, that's a fantasy. That's not what that verse teaches. That's not the context of that verse. In fact, let's take a few moments, unfold the features of it, and I think we'll all be impressed that the truth is far better than the fantasy. It begins like this. Chapter number 29, verse number 1 in the book of Jeremiah begins to inform us what's involved in this passage. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captive, and to the priests and to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Let's fill in the details. The Babylonians had come. They had in fact besieged Jerusalem. They had encamped around it. And in fact, the Babylonians had won in that they had taken a lot of the people captive. We studied a bit about that in the Bible class this morning. As Nebuchadnezzar took them away captive, you'll notice that. Jeremiah was to be noted. He was one that had been left behind. But he wrote a letter to those that had been taken captive. I wonder what he said in the letter. Verse number 3 says, I'm sorry, verse number 2 says, After that Jeconiah the king and the queen and the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem. You see what happened. This Nebuchadnezzar, he took away all the skilled laborers, all the carpenters, all of those that could involve and be busy working in Babylon. He took all those that were able to work. He left behind those that were unskilled, those that were weak, those that were old, those that were unable to rebuild Jerusalem. He left them behind. I wonder what Jeremiah said in that letter. Verse number 4 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem. In that letter that Jeremiah wrote, he wrote that to those people and said, you're in captivity because it was the will of God. You are in captivity because God brought that Babylonian army and He in fact made it such that it's His will you're in that place. Verse 5, build houses, 
dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Jeremiah wrote this letter and said, don't think you're coming back soon. You're going to be there a while. You might as well get busy building your houses. You might as well get busy planting your vineyards and your other things because you're going to be there a while. Does that sound like the typical message we hear from verse 11? Let's read on. Take wives, verse 6, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons. One more time, God says, you captives are going to be there. You might as well get used to it. At this point, verse 7, Seek the peace of the city, whether I've caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. God says you need to be praying for Babylon because you're going to be there a while, and so you need it to be a secure and a safe place for you to dwell. Verse number 7 closes, For in peace thereof shall you have peace. This letter that Jeremiah wrote doesn't sound anything like the message that typically is asserted to be the case in verse 11. Verse number 10 says, After 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return. Captives, you're going to be there 70 years. It's in that very context verse 11 now appears. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. This particular passage is a favorite passage of the so-called gospel of wealth and gospel of health group. If you ever watch Joel Osteen very much on TV, he loves a verse like this one because he can use it and preach a whole sermon. If you'll follow God, he'll make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not what the passage teaches. Jeremiah wrote this letter to these people who were in captivity and told them, you're going to be there a while. God's not going to bring you back in the next year or so. He's not going to end all of this rigor and hardship the Babylonians are putting on you. He's not going to bring you back and make you wealthy in Jerusalem. You are going to be in captivity for 70 years. But may I submit to you the message of that verse is even better than the fantasy. Because in light of what we've just said, what does it say? I know the thoughts that I think concerning you. Due to your sin, Israel, I have brought you into captivity. But if you will repent, and if you will turn to me, and if you will follow me, I'm telling you, I do know what I plan for you, and after 70 years, I am going to bring you back. And I'm going to return you to Jerusalem. And your expected end is going to be bright. May I say that as we turn this slide and proceed to the next one, you'll notice that God had in store for this people a great thing, but it hinged upon their fidelity to Him. This gospel of health and wealth that many like to teach based on this just isn't true. Sometimes the people who are the very ones nearest to God are going to suffer difficulty. Christians have health troubles like everybody else. Christians have financial problems like others may well face. Christians deal with losses in their families like other people. But what this passage teaches is God says, I will be with you. And if you will cling to me, I will ensure. I will watch over you with care. 
and your latter end will be an expected one. The fantasy isn't nearly as great as the actual truth, is it? For that reason, look at some of these verses. What does the Bible say about prosperity? Now, I know we live in an age and in a time when prosperity is perhaps on the mind of many people. I want to be prosperous. Many, in fact, as they wish to consider that. Think about Jeremiah 1, or rather Joshua 1 verse 8. Joshua was told what he needed to do to be a prosperous man. No doubt all of us quickly remember it. God told him, Moses, my servant, is dead. So you can't rely on Moses anymore. But what was told to Joshua is, don't you turn from the right hand or the left from following my word and your way will be prosperous. Do you and I want to have a prosperous 2018? Do we want this new year and all that is held before us to be reckoned as prosperous? Then first and foremost, all of us have got to be faithful servants to God. If we'll do that, you recognize spiritually we will prosper without a doubt because all spiritual blessings are in Christ, Ephesians 1 verse 3. And you'll notice God has promised in light of that verse and these next ones that follow. In 1 Kings 2 verse number 3, David was about to die. He had finished his run, if you please, on this earth, and he had some last words to share with his son Solomon. What did he say? Son, if you'll follow God faithfully, you will prosper. There is no better words that any father could leave his children as he himself is about to pass on than words like that. What about in 2 Chronicles 13, 12? One more time, in light of those interesting statements, prosperity will come with serving God. Now, let me again be quick to say, that's not saying that you'll suddenly inherit a few million dollars. That's not the kind of prosperity the Bible's talking about. In fact, isn't it true there's a lot of prosperity that means a lot more than money? Is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul this morning? If it is, then you are greatly prosperous in so many ways. You'll notice in 2 Chronicles 26.5, an interesting statement was made to the king Uzziah. You will prosper so long as you obey the Lord. And that's still as far as any man will prosper today. As you and I close that particular thought, let's close that slide and say, Today, you and I don't live under the Old Testament regime anymore. But it's still true that God has a tremendous and powerful thought. If you and I will be servants to Him, think about the glories awaiting not only the faithful here but beyond. You and I need to be servants to Jesus Christ. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation nineteen sixteen in faithfulness and in character to that thought. Didn't he, don't we read these words in John 3, beginning in verse 16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It's God's will that all of us be saved, but He does lead the decision to us. May you and I never take Jeremiah 29, 11 out of its context. In the midst of difficulty and duress, God says, I know what I think concerning you, 
And if you'll be with me, I'll be with you. As you and I remove that fantasy, what about another one? What, a, what might be another passage that so often is taken and used to teach what it does not teach? Let me invite you to come to this one with me. Into the New Testament we go, 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 9. When I read this one, you're going to be very familiar with it. It is one that, in fact, perhaps you've heard so many times. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I just wonder, in what context have you so often heard that verse? Well, let me share with you perhaps one. There are many who assert that talks about the grand, sublime beauties of heaven. What eye has it seen? What ear has it heard? What God has in store for those that love Him? I've heard that a lot at funerals. Here's this body that's before all those gathered, and this person has passed on, and so the preacher will say something like, Oh, he or she has gone to a better place. Gone to a place that eye hasn't seen the beauties that are waiting, and ear hasn't heard the glories that are there. And they'll basically quote or at least paraphrase this verse. Let me say to you, that's a fantasy. That's not what that verse teaches. In fact, it doesn't have anything to do with what that verse teaches. We do great disservice to the Word of God when we take a passage and we have an idea in mind and we want to use that verse to in fact teach it, but the verse doesn't teach it, in its context at least. In fact, as you and I develop it, why don't we take a few moments build a consideration about that verse, place it into its right context, and one more time I believe we'll find the fantasy pales in comparison to the truth that's behind it. Again, what we've heard is many say that talks about heaven, but it doesn't. Let me read a little further and I think we'll all be convinced. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them unto us by Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God." which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Let's stop at that point. The very things that were just mentioned in verse number 9, the things that eye hasn't seen, the things that ear hasn't heard, the things that God has restored and reserved in His heart, you noticed it with me, didn't you? It's not talking about heaven. In verse number 10, it says, God has revealed these things. In verse number 13, these things, Paul says, we speak. Whatever it is he's talking about are things that Paul had preached. He's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about those sublime beauties in the world beyond this one. Paul says, it's these things that the Spirit of God has revealed, and we have preached them to you in the matter of the gospel. 
for that reason on that slide. The things that eye hasn't seen are those things before God revealed it that man had no idea about. Imagine where we'd be without the Bible. Had God not revealed to us the gospel of Jesus Christ in the written form of the Word, think how lost we'd be. Think how without direction we'd be. Think how without instruction we'd be. And yet Paul says these marvelous and sublime amazing truths, God has now revealed them. What he's talking about here isn't heaven. It's the marvelous wonders, of course, contained in the gospel. As you and I keep that in mind, ponder with me a moment about the plan of salvation. Perhaps you and I ought to thank God more often for it. Those things that we know revealed to us in the Bible that rest in our hearts to know that we've been forgiven of sin and we are walking hand in hand with God and we are journeying toward an everlasting place in glory. Think where we'd be without the knowledge of the plan of salvation. Think where we'd be without the instruction as to what worship God wants. It's safe to say that unless one worships God properly, you can't hope to go to heaven. And yet, because of what the Bible reveals, all of these marvelous wonders, it's true. I hasn't seen an ear wouldn't have, never have known it if God hadn't revealed it. But because He has, you and I have access to all of these things that He has revealed. And isn't it true? The truth is better than the fantasy. Oh, I'm sure we all think about heaven, and Revelation 21 does describe heaven. And it is a glorious place described in that chapter as having streets of gold and a tree of life. And there's no sorrow, death, crying, no pain there. It's a place, true enough, that we look forward to, but 1 Corinthians 2.9 doesn't talk about it. May you and I never then use a verse like this one and use it to talk about heaven because it doesn't talk about heaven. As we come near the bottom of that slide, couldn't I ask you to think about the rich treasure then that is the Word of God? In James 1 verse 18, aren't we told on that occasion, it's the engrafted Word which is able to save your souls. To that we might add 1 Corinthians 2 beginning in verse 1. And did you notice that's at the very beginning of this same chapter. Paul said it like this, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, I could perhaps, and others may well rest on eloquence of speech, but I didn't because I have something better than that. You and I have something better than that as well. Again, aren't you thankful for the truth that's better than the fantasy? One by one, as you've thought about all these two cases so far, I'm sure you've noticed that these verses have been used in many ways, but sadly enough, often it's a fantasy world. Let's come to a third one. In the closing chapter of the Philippian letter, we arrive at verse 13. Maybe it is the favorite verse of some, and without doubt, it has a tremendous message within it. But I would ask you to ponder with me what that message is, because on occasion, you and I can sometimes discover that it's taken in a very different way than what the context would demand. The verse simply stated and rather shortly written reads like this, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
Now, pause and get this point. You can perhaps imagine the variety of ways in which that verse could be taken. So here's a basketball player. This young boy or young girl wants to jump high, and yet the person is a Christian, but he says, well, sure enough, doesn't the Bible promise that I could do all things through Christ which strengthened me? So doesn't that mean that I'll be able to jump a little higher? Maybe I'll score more points in the game this Friday night. Perhaps in an academic setting, this youngster didn't study as much as he should have, but the test is coming. Well, doesn't the Bible say that I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, so maybe I'll guess better than I otherwise would and I'll still do okay. The verse doesn't teach any of this. This is not a magic verse that simply says a Christian is going to be able to physically do better, do more, do things far grander than what other people who are not Christians can do. It just doesn't say that. There are non-Christians who can jump real high. Olympic athletes and others who are tremendous athletes, they may have never been baptized at all. There are fine, eloquent speakers and presenters and who themselves aren't Christians. This verse is not a magical incantation that simply promises that a Christian is one who will be able to expound and do greater things in terms of physical attributes. But if that isn't what it teaches, what does it teach? Let's look at its context. Beginning in verse number 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were all so careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I believe we're on the precipice of something great. The truth is better than the fantasy. Again, you and I maybe have heard individuals say this 13th verse says, Okay, as a Christian, God's going to be with you, and even physically you'll be able to do better things. But that's not what it teaches. The man who wrote this Philippian letter was a man named Paul, of course, and he was in prison when he wrote it. Paul was in a hard circumstance a challenging circumstance. He didn't enjoy the freedom that you and I would now enjoy, for example. But in addition to that, you notice this in verse number, verse number 12. Paul said, I know both how to be abased. Paul says, I know how to suffer. I've done it. I've been there. I know well what it's like to, in fact, be without the things that commonly you would enjoy. Did you notice? Oh, so he said, I know how to be hungry. There were times in that prison Paul didn't have enough food. There were times throughout the duration of his life in Christ he had gone hungry simply because he was not in circumstances whereby he could enjoy the provision of food. He had been shipwrecked many times. He'd been beaten many times. Paul says, I know how to be hungry. 
I know how to be abased. But in that same verse, he says, I know how to abound, and I know how to have plenty. It is in that context, verse number 11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. Paul was a content man. If he was in fact in need of food and was a bit hungry, or if he had a bountiful plate, he at least had the mental capacity to be content. By the same token, if he had plenty... That contentment lesson of verse number 11 is exactly the context in which we find verse number 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. My friend, I don't know what challenges particularly you may be called on to face. And you don't know the ones I and my family may be called on to face. This year stands as a marvelous horizon in front of us. It may be a year in which you abound, and I hope that it's so for you. But it might be a year in which you're going to be abased. Whether you abound or whether you abase, you need to be able to say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You need to be able to rest upon the one greater than you. You need to stand on His shoulders and appreciate that His strength will confide in you and allow you to emerge victoriously. Moving forward and onward and upward. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Reminds us about the scene in which Paul himself found himself. Oh, what contentment he had. And yet what inner strength that resultingly gave him. You and I need to be people of inner strength. Understanding that Satan will cast fiery darts at us. Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 18. And those fiery darts can often be so painful, so difficult, and so unnerving. And yet, if you and I rest on Christ Jesus, again, this verse says, even in matters of challenge and difficulty or in matters of abundance, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. There are several things about that verse that are worthy of additional note. It says, I can do all things through Christ. You'll notice the power didn't rest with Paul. It rested with Christ. And doesn't that remind you and I about the scene in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul himself prayed three times that his thorn in the flesh might be removed, but the Lord said, No, but my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul lived, as far as we know, the rest of his life with that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. It was never removed. The Lord told him, it's better for you to have it. It'll keep you humble. It'll make you stronger. Sometimes those challenges and difficulties you and I face, they in fact will ultimately make us stronger than what we would have been without them. Maybe in fairness, as you and I have looked at three fantasy passages today... I hope we've been able to remove the fantasy and look at the truth that's behind it. And hadn't that truth been marvelous? First was Jeremiah 29, 11. That gospel of wealth and health just simply isn't taught there. They were going to endure 70 years of captivity. They needed to be ready for it, but be strong through, through the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 9, Though I hasn't seen nor ear heard, 
He wasn't talking about heaven. He was talking about those marvelous truths that have now been revealed in the gospel. And aren't we thankful for that? And finally, Philippians 4.13. As we've looked at it, we have one more time seen that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, encourages us to be content, and encourages us to realize that when Paul expounded on this in 1 Timothy 6, he said it like this. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. But having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Are you content today, understanding the blessings and the reality of being faithful to the Lord? As we've studied these fantasy passages this morning, the truth is far better. I hope all of us have been challenged by it. If there's anyone in this audience, though, who hasn't been true to the Lord, maybe you've begun your journey with Him, but... You have walked astray. You've forgotten all these promises, really, and haven't lived in harmony with them. If we could assist you today in the rededication of your life, realize you must do this. You've got to repent of those errors, those sins, and you've got to confess them. And as you do that, we, of course, will pray unto God on your behalf, and He has assured you in 1 John 1, 8 that He will forgive you. If we could help you in that way today, we'd be delighted on the other hand, if there's someone here that's never become a Christian, you realize all three of these passages have spoken promises and quite frankly, you are not in position to receive any of them. You see, you aren't a faithful Christian. So you can't say that I can do all things through Christ because you're not in Christ. Don't you want to be? There is no better way to start the year 2018. You need to believe Jesus with all of your heart to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as the great and only Messiah and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And if we could help you do that today, why not today? This audience of people would celebrate with you as well as the angelic host. And we're waiting to do that even now while together we stand and while we sing.